Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by andrewandtodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try andrewandtodd.com or call 888-888-1172. Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Special treat for me in studio with me, an American hero, Louis Zamperini, whose story is told in the brand new best-selling number one New York Times book, Unbroken, by Laura Hillebrand, accompanying Louis, the great Olympian that you have seen for many, many years on every uh, sports network in the world, John Neighbor. They are both USC people. And this is the first time, Louis, I've ever actually let two USC people in the studio at the same time. Yeah, well, I noticed you got a Trojan hat on the wall. That, now, are you a Trojan or is that decoration? That's a decoration because we honor the Ohio State Buckeyes here. You, but that's got, another. <laughs> Louis, people have read this story and they are very amazed uh, at what you went through. Are you surprised that the, the, the story of the Japanese POWs had been largely forgotten until this book came out? Well, not only largely forgotten, but historians today weren't even born then, and they have their own opinion about things, especially the bomb and other things. They just don't know the facts. But I think Laura pretty well covered the facts. Of all of the harrowing things that you have been through, uh, from the course of the time you were shot down, the time in the raft, all the people, what was the worst moment? The worst moment was... <laughs> After we were picked up and taken to Kwajalein, which we called Execution Island, and that was the most brutal thing I've ever been up against. Uh, we were, I weighed 65 pounds, I lost 100. Uh, the food was thrown at us, just a rice ball, and we had to pick up the grains off of the floor. We were given three cups of warm water a day, but it was worse than the raft because we had constant diarrhea and the water went right through us. And so we became deeply dehydrated there. And then the cell we were in were just full of flies and mosquitoes. You could reach out with your hand and close it and open it, and your hand's full of blood. And then they uh, injected, used as experiments, injections for three different times. And our bodies would break out in red pimples, and then we'd almost pass out, and then they'd stop. And we had no idea what they were injecting into us, but it was an experiment. And they were timing it and asking us, when you get dizzy, tell us whatever happens. Uh, that was brutal. And then, of course, the interrogation. Uh, they teased us because they knew we were vulnerable. And here are these guys in white uniforms, gold braids, medals. Uh, the interrogation officers, they had a, a soda pop and cookies and biscuits. And they, they knew we were, <laughs> we were watering at the mouth. But they wouldn't give it to you unless you answered the question right. And we didn't. So we didn't get any treats until the last question. And that was how many... New airfields are there on Hawaii? Well, 
when I left, they built two new air, three new airfields, but they were mock fields. The planes were made out of plywood, so then I could tell them. And I hesitated at first, and then they kept after me, and after me, I finally broke down and told them I finally got a biscuit. Louis, when did they figure out you were the Louis Zamperini, that you were the man who shook hands with Hitler and had the amazing 5,000-meter race in Berlin? When did they figure out that you were a, a celebrity? Well, Japan at that time, they knew more about American athletes and movie stars than we did. Uh, they had no athletes or movie stars. And so th- when I was missing in action, I, of course, I picked it up on the radio. And so then when I was picked up, news got to Tokyo, and uh, they knew. And so uh, on Kwajalein, they they did set our day of execution. They had two officers that are experts at cutting heads off. Uh, there were nine Marines in my area there before I got there, and I asked the guards what happened to these nine Marines. They were part of the Carlson Raiders on Macon Island. They said they were all executed executed by, by a Sumerai sword. Uh, now, one of the most tension-filled parts of the book is towards the end when the kill-all order is in place in Japan and the war is winding down and they're marching you around and they're getting ready to kill every POW. Uh the, uh, did you Were you certain you were going to be executed at the end of the war? Well, yeah, the field marshal gave the orders that, not during the invasion, but as they attempt the invasion, because we're an army within the country, and with 500 POWs against about 12 guards, yeah, they had rifles, but we could overwhelm them and shot our own little uh, army behind the lines. And so they knew that. So there were 91 camps in all of Tokyo or Japan, the, uh, three islands, and uh, we were to be slaughtered, yeah. Now, the uh, the guard who emerges as the central villain here, the bird, how do you say it? How do you Watanabe. say it? Watanabe. Mutsuhiro Watanabe. Yeah. Yeah, what do you want to hear about him? <laughs> I want to know if you really did forgive him. You forgive him? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You, I did. Mean, that, it's, you see, the, by not forgiving... I'm not hurting him. I'm hurting myself. And when I became a Christian, the first thing that the Bible teaches is forgiveness. But it happened automatically. When I made my confession of faith in Christ, it's amazing. I'm on my knees. I thought, my God, I'm through drinking. And I forgive all my guards, including a bird. I couldn't believe it. And that was the first night in two years I didn't have a nightmare and I haven't had one since. Would you describe the audience, the bird, in, in summary? I, I gave them a little look into the brutality of your existence, but I didn't mention the bird. I think he was somewhat of a psychopath, yeah. He, uh, he, he, he was after me. I refused to read propaganda, and so I think they gave him further orders to seek me out on, on a daily basis. So in the barracks, I would be in the rear, hiding, and he'd come in with his two guards, you know, holler, just K, and... Everybody comes to attention, and I see him looking around the room for about five or six seconds, and he spotted me. And he said, you, Zamperini, you come to attention last. Last? I couldn't believe it. Called me up. He had a big web belt, a big steel buckle that weighed about a pound. Took it off and hit me across the left temple. And I don't go down easily, but I hit the ground. And then he handed me a piece of toilet tissue and said, oh, like I'm sorry. And I thought, well, maybe it's not that bad after all. And I took, I wiped my, my temple, and I stood up, and I took the, the, the paper away, and I looked to see how much blood was on it, and he hit me again. And down I went, and I stayed down. Oh, I'll tell you, the, the repeated beatings. John Neighbor, you've read this story, obviously, as a world-class athlete. Can you imagine anyone surviving this? 
It's not merely the survival, it's the, it's the defiance. When he stood to attention, his fists were clenched. I mean, he was obeying, but he wasn't c- conceding. He wasn't surrendering. And it was Watanabe's uh, issues with authority that made it a personal vendetta to break this man's spirit. And that's why Laura called it unbroken, because even to this day, he's not broken. I can yeah. tell you that. Uh, how did you get to know each other? Two Olympians, obviously. There is that network of Olympians. But how did the USC connection? I In 1983... The Olympics were coming to Los Angeles, and USC was going to be an Olympic village. The university held a big fundraiser for the sports department, and they invited all of the Trojan Olympians throughout history to come and be honored. And somebody introduces me to this 1936 Olympian. He's a USC Trojan. That's all I need to know to like the man. Fourteen years later, CBS shows the World War II story on television, and my jaw hits the floor. I, it's like discovering your granddad neglected to mention he won the Nobel Prize. I mean, I'm thinking this guy is so humble and so quiet about what was what is a remarkable story that I made it my goal to let as many people I know hear about him as possible. So when I was president of the Olympic alumni, people were calling looking for lecturers on cruise ships, and I'd keep sending them to Louis, And he'd get the highest scores of any lecturer that's ever been on a boat. The other thing, I'm amazed, uh, just a quick thing. I, I noticed that Laura Hillebrand reported you kept your fees down all those years so that you could be available to give your testimony and your witness to as many groups as possible, which is... Really not very modern at all, Louis Zamperini, but it's I guess Louis Zamperini would be very proud of that. We come back, we're going to talk about your mom, your family during the war, uh, about that time in the raft, and John Neighbor more about your friendship, which is an extraordinary friendship. Louis Zamperini and John Neighbor will be at the cannery in Newport Beach tonight. If you have not yet read, un- read Unbroken, do so. Plus, at Amazon.com, you get Louis' own autobiography, uh, Devil at My Heels. Uh, do not miss that either. I'll be right back on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. I'm so honored to have in studio with me uh, two great uh, Americans, uh, and one of them is the subject of the brand-new bestseller, Unbroken, by Laura Hillebrand. That would be Louis Zamperini. He's joined in studio by John Neighbor, the great Olympian, who you've seen broadcasting for years ever since his triumph in the 76 Olympics. They are together a USC team that I'm actually proud to have in studio. Uh, Louis, there was one question that Laura Hillebrand did not answer. When I got done, it's, she's such a magnificent writer. I hope to get her on. But there is one answer, which is, did you ever go back on the water in anything approaching a situation where a shark could get you after that experience? Yeah, after the war, I was the first mate on a schooner sailing to Acapulco. <laughs> we got in a white squall, sheared the rudder pin. We had no control. The ship broached. The sails were shredded. Took on a foot of water, so we had no power to call, call the Coast Guard. And uh, we drifted out to sea, fighting the waves, and, and you got the life raft ready. But um, we finally got a pin in the rudder, and we were able to control the ship to a certain degree. But the next morning, we found ourselves 80 miles offshore in a doldrums, not a ripple anywhere. We didn't know what to do. Uh, we had about uh, some Mexican. We gave him some fresh fruit, and he threw about 100 langusta, or lobsters, aboard. Another one threw about 100 coconuts aboard. So we would shear the top of the coconut off and put a, a jigger of vodka in there. And we ate uh, lobster three meals a day. We had a, a five gallons of butter, I mean five pounds of butter melted in a bowl on the deck. All we did was dip lobster in, eat it, and uh, drink our coconut juice. So you were not worried about sharks? We, no, we were, we were there for a week. 
And all we could do was take the halyard, swing out as far as we could and let go. Uh, there were large turtles floating by, but we didn't see any sharks out there for some reason. There's a story in here that after you actually, I don't know how many days you were in the raft total, 47? Yeah. And so after maybe 40 days or 35 days, you put your hand out and you touch the sharks, at which point they begin to attack you. Yeah, that was weird. That was... Well, I just, it was, <laughs> two guys were sleeping and I'm watching these sharks and they're so graceful. And, you know, I thought I'd be one with nature. So I put my hand on his head, and as he went by, my hand went up over the dorsal fin. I thought, hey, it's kind of neat. And then they both disappeared. Now, sharks, they usually stay on the surface. These guys dove. I kept looking for them on my knees, and all of a sudden, one came up shooting up like a, like a torpedo with his mouth open right at my head. And I just stuck my hand up and caught him on the end of the nose and pushed him back in. The tail gunner... Then saw what happened. He grabbed an oar, and I grabbed an aluminum oar, and all we did was punch both of these sharks back in the water for about five minutes. They wouldn't give up. And then they finally disappeared. They were also attacked by a great white. So then the great white, we didn't actually, uh, what he did, he came up uh, under the raft, and he slapped the bottom of the raft with his tail, and that raft lifted off the water. That's how big it was. And uh, we were bruised. And we went up in the air and down. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was, I thought it was a submarine. <laughs> now, now, Louie, in all of that time, did you, how many times did you think you were dead, that you were going to be dead? Never thought about dying because we were too busy staying alive. No, I never thought about dying. I no. never would, no. Uh, you, you lost uh, uh, so many friends in this, but you didn't lose Russell Allen Phillips. And that friendship is really extraordinary. Well, military friendships are bound, about, very binding. I mean, guys that come back from like, Afghanistan with injuries, yeah, they can get out of the service. But what do they do? They go back to Afghanistan. Why? Because I want to be with my buddies. Uh, John Neighbor, uh, as an Olympian, obviously you had to train with people for a long period of time under stress. It's something nothing like POW. But are you amazed at the level of uh, of intimacy and friendship that developed between these POWs? Not really. I'm very impressed by it. I'm very proud of it, but I'm not amazed. I know that if I look back on my 50 years, the, the friendships that mean the most to me are those who are standing by me in the middle of a battle, whether it's a battle against the Bruins or a battle against the Japanese. It's a battle. And uh, Louis' battles were, were very well, very hard fought. And the letters are pouring in. Now that the book is so popular, he's getting emails on the louisamperini.com website, and people are saying, did you know my great-grandfather? He never talked about the war, but now in the book I can see what he went through, and it's coming alive to me. Can you tell me anything, any any shred of information? And these people talk to each other, and there's there's a kinship that's real. Uh, louisamperini.com, uh, is that the website? Louisamperini.com. L-O-U-I-E, Zamperini.com. What year did your mom die, Louis? Oh, it's hard to remember. It's been about... Oh, it's been about 15 years ago, I guess. It's an amazing testament to her love. That book, that this comes through, your family was such an amazing family. Because they didn't know you were alive until the very end. Well, to tell you the truth, I think, and I don't think people realize it, but my brother, my sisters, my mom and dad, in a different way, they suffered more than I did. That, That comes through in the book, Deep Suffering. I'll be right back to ask Louis Zamperini about his friend Billy Graham, about his conversion and about how Unbroken came to be written, uh, because it's uh, it's wonderful that it's arriving now, uh, right now. I'll be right back, America. John Neighbor and Louis Zamperini in studio with me here on The Hugh Hewitt Show.
24 minutes after the hour, America, Sue Hewitt in studio with Louis Zamperini, the subject of the brand new bestseller, Unbroken, number one on the list by Laura Hillebrand. Also with him is John Neighbor. John, of course, the great Olympian from USC. They are going down to Newport Beach, California tonight to the Cannery Restaurant to greet uh, uh, just a slice of the tens of thousands and actually it'll soon be hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans who've read Unbroken. Uh, Louis Zamperini, how did Laura Hillebrand find you and decide to write this story? Well, when she was surveying uh, the newspapers on Seabiscuits to do a story on him, she kept running across my name on the same page. And then she read one article, the Los Angeles Times called my coach at USC and said, Louis hasn't lost a mile race for five years. If he gets beat this year, who's going to beat him? And Dean Cromwell said, Seabiscuit. And she took it from there, called me, and I said, well, I've already finished my book. She, then about three months later, she called me and said, well, I'd like to do your biography. I said, Laura, you're spinning your wheels. I got everything in my book. But I was so wrong. Yeah. The woman is a genius on research and the truth. Yeah. And, and, she, and she brings to life the saga of the Japanese POW camps in a way that I'm sure your book does. But this is so expansive. And she brings uh, some of the risk factors. I did not know that 52,173 airmen were killed in combat in World War II. 35,946 airmen were killed in non-combat mishaps. It's a dangerous business to go up in a B-24 Liberator at any time. <laughs> yeah, it's a flying coffin, they called it. Uh, now, in terms of your conversion at Billy Graham's uh, uh, crusade in 1950, did you then ever appear with Billy Graham? He must have known you were Louis Zamperini. Did he make the connection well, they, then? Yeah, they, uh, when they came to L.A., they, the, the Los Angeles Times, the examiner wouldn't put his name in the paper. But then when three... Short Hammond, the singing cowboy, had a TV show. Jim Foss, the wiretapper for Mickey Cohen, and an Olympic athlete. Yeah, it struck, uh, it struck uh, Hearst in New York, and he called the editor and said, blow, blow up Billy Graham. That means front page good news. Yeah, Puff Graham, very <laughs> famous in the newspaper business. But did after your conversion, real heartfelt detailed here, did you ever appear with Billy Graham at any of his crusades subsequent? Uh, yeah, he had me as a guest on a couple, but when he came back 10 years later to the Hollywood Bowl, now people said, well, these guys make a decision. How long do they last? So he had me there after 10 years, and so I gave a testimony for 10 minutes at the Hollywood Bowl, assuring people that it's real, and I'm stronger than ever in the Lord, and still growing, still growing. That's remarkable. John Neighbor, you do a lot of inspirational speaking. You're a motivational speaker. You go out there, johnneighbor.com. In terms of people that you've heard and that people have inspired you, anyone come close to Louis Zamperini? Not even close. I, I watch strangers suddenly break out of their shell and give this man a hug. Uh, the book is clearly a big part of that, but even before the, this book came out, they were doing that. People's lives were changed. I invited Louis to speak at my church for Father's Day five years ago. The youth pastor says, oh yeah, Louis, he saved my marriage. We were contemplating divorce and went for counseling, and Louis talked us out of it, and now we're happily married for 30 years, and you know he, he changes lives. And he's what you're hearing on the air is the exact man that I've known for 25 years. You were with him last night. He spoke at USC to the athletes. Uh, first time they've been in class in years. And then hey, hey, been, hey, hey, hey. And you've been out on the road with him, and, and you said he's going to go barnstorming now? You two are going barnstorming? Yeah, we've got uh, Speakers Bureau is booking him all over the country. Uh, we've got a, a, a two events in Florida and West Virginia, six hours apart, and Billy Graham's loaning us a private plane to get to get from one to the other. You know, that's the kind of enthusiasm that's surrounding this man. Going back to, to 1940, 44 in the camps uh, in, in Japan. 
uh, when when you would try and survive as detailed and unbroken, would you imagine fantasy? Would you try and imagine a post prison camp life? No, yes. When the war's over, uh, repatriation, you know, it's exciting. It's so exciting that all the guards you hate there, you you're, you not only sh- uh, turn around and be friends with them, but when the food was dropped from the B-29, we gave them food to take home and feed their kids. But the bird, was that was indelible in my mind and my heart. I had to get even with that guy. Of the men that you served with and survived with in the camps, who was the most courageous, in your opinion? Well, there were a lot of, a lot of great guys. Uh, uh, Commander Fitzgerald of the Perch Submarine, uh, he was a great guy. And then um, and, uh, the only one left today alive is Frank Tinker in Arizona. And he was really a cool guy. And he was uh, graduated of the uh, Juilliard School of Music. And the Japanese let him have a guitar. And I used to sit there and listen to him play that guitar. And, uh, yeah, he was a good buddy. He's the only one left, by the way. Now, Laura interviewed 16 of my buddies in the last seven years. And they're all dead but, but uh, one. Frank How much Tinker. time did you spend with her? Huh? How much time did you spend with Laura Hillebrand? I've never met her. It's all been by phone? 95 times on the phone, yeah. 95 times. And I've been dying to meet her, and I was in Washington getting an award, and I called her, and her husband said she's bedridden. So for like one day a year, she gets out of the house. Six months at a time, she can't speak or write. And I thought, my God, what suffering? 23 years of this, and I only suffered for two years. (laughs) So is, is it her suffering that makes her able to understand and write this book? Do you I think, think that helps a lot, and it also helps her. She wrote me a beautiful letter saying, thank you for letting me write your story. It saved my life. She's got to be doing something. Uh, she writes very movingly of your faith. I don't know if she's a person of faith or not. I don't know if she's a Christian or not. Do you, do you find it that audiences are willing to listen to you on that, or do they just want to hear about the war and the wrath? No, you'd be surprised the letters I get. And uh, even last night at USC, they asked me how I got revived after the war, how I got over my hate and the nightmares, and I, I gave my testimony, and a host of kids came up later said, oh, that was beautiful. I'm a Christian, too. So, I'm reading the emails that are coming in, and 50% focus on the forgiveness aspect and 50% on the endurance. Can you imagine that forgiveness, John Neighbor? Well, I, away. He went to the POW camp for the, POW, for the people who abused him, and you met with them. That's told here. Well, I mean, even before his conversion, after the war ended, they were still in the prison camp waiting for liberation, waiting for transportation to home, and food was airlifted. And as he said, they were giving this food to the guards who had denied them food just weeks earlier. I'll be right back. One more short segment with Louis Zamperini. Of course, the book by Laura Hillebrand is unbroken. But if you go to louiszamperini.com, you will be able to find Devil at My Heels, his autobiography. And you will also be able to find out where he's going to be. Are you updating it with your travels and your book signings and all that sort of thing? Uh, Facebook group page, I Like Louis Zamperini. I Like Louis Zamperini. I also want to tell you, go check out johnneighbor.com. It's really a treat to have John with Louis. I'll be right back. Last segment. And then they're gone to Newport Beach. And given that they are you. See, they're going to take some time to get there. We'll be right back, Americans, to Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. A little bit of the one-note Trojan marching band 
so that we can give Louis Zamperini and John Neighbors a send-off as they head down the Newport Beach to the Cannery Restaurant, where Louis will be greeting the public and signing Unbroken and his own autobiography from 6 to 8 p.m. tonight. And if you haven't read it yet, believe me, you've got to. Louis, a couple of quick questions. Um, you twice heard a choir of angels singing. Are you sure that was real, or do you think that was a hallucination? Uh, no, no. We were, we were sharper at the end of 47 days than the day we crashed. We got away from the world and, you know, the chaotic, confused world, right? To crash and then you're in a, in a raft. It's a whole new world. And so we fed our minds what we wanted to feed our minds. And the tail gunner, who panicked the first half hour, we knew he'd hallucinate. But after 33 days, he was sharper than he ever was in his life. And, and barely messy. And we were so sharp at the end of 47 days by exercising our minds every day that we defeated the highly skilled Japanese interrogation panel. No, when I heard that, I had a hood on, and I heard the music singing, beautiful. And I, and I nudged Phillips, and he didn't hear it. So I took my hood off, and I saw a cloud going by with 20... Uh, 21 figures, I guess. Just just a shadow like that. And uh, then it disappeared. And then when I'm in that cell, suffering like I never suffered in my life, I kept hearing that music, and it was comforting. Wow. And then when I met uh, this music guy in the camp, I hummed a few notes to him. He said, that's beautiful. Where'd you hear that? And then after that, I can't remember a note. But that's what happened, and, uh, and I wasn't it's an amazing list. testimony. And last question, what's the most important people who are suffering uh, for them to know about enduring that suffering? I don't get that. Uh, what's the most important lesson for people who are in the middle of enormous pain that you learn from your enormous endurance? Well, first of all, you have to, you have to learn to bear the pain. And uh, I, 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 the Bible gives you the answer for longevity and good health, and that is have a cheerful attitude at all times. Now, I know it's hard for people suffering, but uh, if we can add a little humor to your life every day, uh, that, that will help. Uh, especially when you help people or do good, you feel good. Well, why do you feel good? It's a chemical reaction. It's why corpuscles inflate your immune system. Now, John knows it, and my friends know it. I haven't had any kind of an illness for 25 years. No cold, no sniffles, anything. And when I go to the hospital, the doctor says, God, you've got a powerful immune system. And so nothing gets me down. I take it from the scriptures. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to his purpose. So broken hip, yeah, I accepted it. I looked up at the Lord. I said, I know all things work together for good. I just better be good. That is, Louis Zamperi, thank you for coming in and for those words. It's an amazing book. John Neighbor, thank you for driving him and for that ministry and for doing that. I hope to talk to you both again. Good luck in this book tour tonight in Newport Beach and across the United States. What a great service. Still, after all these years, serving your country and mankind. Louis Zamperi, thank you. John Neighbor, thank you. I'll be right back, America. It is the Hugh Hewitt Show. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of 
the interview.